Sponsor CBT Nuggets is IT training for IT professionals and anyone looking to build IT skills. You can sign up for a free CBT Nuggets trial. There is no credit card required to sign up, and you will have access to the entire training library. Visit cbtnuggets.com slash heavy networking. That's cbtnuggets.com slash heavy networking. Before we start the show today, be sure you keep rolling at the end to hear a tech bite with Palo Alto Networks product news coming from them. Time management on today's heavy networking. Why? You're good at your job. Your boss believes that if there's something that absolutely must get done, give it to the busiest person on the team. You! You have too much to do. You're stressed out. You're thinking about quitting. Uh, All that stuff. We've been through this cycle. Does it have to be that way, though? This endless cycle of starting a job and your new coworkers figuring out that you can get stuff done and then management realizing that you do solid work and then the dump trucks full of projects keep landing on your desk until you can't take it anymore and start interviewing again. Our guest today wrote a controversial blog post a while back on saying no, entitled No is a Complete Sentence, and he's no stranger to the Packet Pushers podcast network, Tom Hollingsworth. Welcome back, really, Tom, to uh, to Heavy Networking. Thanks, Ethan. It is a pleasure once again to be here talking with you, even if I'm going to say no a lot. <laughs> so, Tom, I mean, there's, maybe there's some people out there that don't know you. Just uh, tell them who you are in a sentence or two. Oh, man, it's, this feels like I'm, I'm reading off the giant scroll from like Game of Thrones or something. So um, the short version is, is that I used to be a senior network engineer, um, spent a lot of time writing on my blog, going after my CCIE, uh, took a job about, well, about nine years ago uh, doing events. Uh, Tech Field Day is, is my, as I like to call it, my Bruce Wayne job. Uh, pays the bills. I get to talk to cool companies. And then at night, I occasionally still write on my blog, although a lot of the things that I've been writing about now are less about technology and, and more about management and soft skills. And, and as it turns out, um, making the entire Internet mad. So uh, my, that, that's kind of what I do is, is during the day I, I talk to tech companies and at night I yell at people on Hacker News. Yeah, I was going to say Hacker News picked on this particular article and, uh, and and some people kind of got it and a lot of people just, I felt they really didn't get it. And since you know you and I have known each other for a really long time now, I'm like, ah, we should have a podcast conversation about this so you can talk about some of the things that would maybe explain some of your perspective. So we, we should start at the beginning, Tom, for people that didn't read the article. Tell them about your saying no philosophy, because it, it really is not as simple as just telling people no. There are There are nuances and perspective you bring to this. There are. And and I think that that's where a lot of it got lost in in the uh, the brouhaha. Um, so Ethan, you and I and, and a lot of the people who are listening to this podcast, they kind of have that that mentality of that. You know, I, I can I can do this. I can take on one more thing. I, I need to work this so that it, if anybody else does it, they might have gotten it wrong. And the problem is, is that there are people out there and I'm not saying that it's malicious every time. But there are people out there that are like, well, if if Ethan or Tom will do it, by all means, I'm going to let them do it. And eventually that kind of gets into that. Oh, I don't know if you want to call it like a the rut of, well, I have this thing that I need to look at. I'm going to have them do it. And what I've seen from a lot of people who have that that mentality of, of just getting things done is that they will take on so much stuff until it all fails. And, and in the blog post, I actually used QoS as an example because, you know, how many times have we been configuring like a link and someone's like, oh, well, I'll just stuff a little extra traffic in there. It'll oversubscribe it a little bit, but it'll only hurt that last little bit of traffic, which is not true. It actually makes the entire link degrade. <laughs> and that's kind of how people do, even if they don't realize it. And so um, what I what the title of the blog post is actually something that I've been telling people outside of tech for quite a while. When someone comes to you and says, hey, I need you to take a look at this. No is an answer, and it does not require explanation. It does not require justification. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, that feels rude. Yeah, it, it can. But ask yourself this question. If the person that asked you to do the thing won't accept no for an answer, would they have accepted no with justification anyway? Or would they have just kept saying, oh, come on, man, it's just one little thing. It won't take you five minutes because that's kind of how I feel about it sometimes. And I can honestly say that because I've been volunteered for positions that I explicitly said no, but to, and the, but became, well, what if I worked around that objection? So I I was trying to help people understand that by, by declining something that they put themselves in a position of power, if they choose to negotiate. 
And evidently what that sounded like to a lot of people on the internet who are probably all 10X engineers was, you can't say no to your boss because that's how you get fired. And my response was, well, if you don't get your work done, you're going to get fired anyway, right? <laughs> but it, but there's, a, there's a lot to this. Uh, one component mm -hmm. of, the, of saying no is about, uh, I would describe it as self-preservation. That mm -hmm. is, you're making a point that you have to say no at some point or you yourself will, will come apart. In your QoS analogy, the entire link will degrade. The entire quality of your work, I suppose, would degrade. Is that what you were getting at? Yeah. It, it, think about what you do on a daily basis, whether it's, you know, configuring devices or whether it's doing architecture drawings or something like that. There is a level of work that you are comfortable with. Um, now, everyone will tell you that they're overworked. That's just the nature of the beast. If, if you if you did one thing a day, you'd probably be like, man, I've just got so much stuff that I have to do. But there is a difference between feeling overworked and actually being overworked. And usually the difference is, you know, you're actually overworked when you are suddenly feeling like you're hopping from project to project and not getting anything done for people who work in, a, in you know, networking or wireless or systems or whatever. That's that feeling that basically you dread going to work every day because, you know, as soon as you log in, you're going to have to deal with logs. You're going to have to um, do provisioning stuff. You are gonna have to do all these things for us who are content creators. It's like. Okay, I've got five recordings lined up today. Well, how many is too many? Is five enough? Should I have not only done four? Well, if I don't, <laughs> if I do four, that fifth one's going to have to happen some other time. Do I create another podcast channel for this? Do I create another blog to talk about the things that I'm doing? And, and that mentality just kind of seeps into everything that you do. Because if you add extra content, if you add extra projects to your plate, you are effectively trying to time slice everything that you do to make sure that all of those projects get the appropriate amount of work. And that makes it very difficult to do literally anything else. But th there's a balance between the extracurricular things that some of us take on. So, mm -hmm. so going back to our days as engineers, Tom, we were, we were both CCIE candidates you know, along the way, mm -hmm. which took an enormous amount of sacrifice. And there were a bunch of certs that had come before that. Uh, mm -hmm. as well. So what, you know, if I reflect back on that time, you know, what, what, what got sacrificed that I could do all of those things? Well, back in the MCSE days, I was uh, sitting on a milk crate with another guy and we were going through videotapes uh, on a little all-in-one VCR TV combo in a back room because that's the only place we could figure out where to do it and set it all up. And what did we give up? Sleep, we went in early before our shifts would begin. We'd sit there and watch video cassettes and, and take notes. And so we gave up some, you know, and then you, and then you walk into work like already a little fried because you just spent that much time watching training videos. And so you kind of give up something there. Or if you're an evening student, you end up giving up family time. If you're married or you got kids, um, you, you give up something to do all of this stuff. And so it, there's a different solution here, which may be, is or isn't saying no, it may be it's, maybe we add too much stuff to our lives. You know, I, I, I wonder that sometimes, you know, where do you draw the line? And, and that absolutely is true because you know more than anyone else what you're capable of not only taking on, but what you already have on your plate. And that is a huge problem as you start talking about the extracurricular stuff, because that's one of the things that, that kind of came across in, in some of the discussion was, well, you know, at work, it's X. And you're right. At work, a good manager will know how much stuff you have on your plate and what you're capable of. But work isn't the only thing that we deal with. We deal with family stuff. We deal with extracurricular activities. Um, you know, a common thing that I hear a lot from people is, oh, I'm going to take my lunch hour and I'm going to go to the gym and work out. Okay, that works for some people. But what if you wanted to work out for your whole lunch hour or what if you wanted to you know run an errand to the pharmacy or something like that well now you're trading you're trading your piece and and effectively fueling yourself to be able to do the work for the rest of the, the day with something that needs to be accomplished and the more of those things that you pile on the more you have to arrange them and you know i can already hear the the pundits out there going well the extracurricular things in your life shouldn't affect your work performance you're right but they do, whether it's answering, answering personal calls when you're on the clock or dealing with, you know, your wife texting you saying, hey, I need you to you know, go pick this up and, and, and take care of this or what's going to be for dinner tonight. Everything intrudes on everything else. And if you are so tasked 
in your job that you are incapable of handling those curveballs as they pop up, then you are going to be super stressed out. I tweeted this morning, welcome to Monday. Remember not to give 100% to your employer because then you won't have anything left for yourself. So mm-hmm. a mistake that I think a lot of us have made, I definitely made it as a, as a, as a younger human in the workforce. I would give everything to the job because that's the job. That's where the check comes from. Mm-hmm. That You got to give it all for that. Commute long hours, stay extra long, work through the lunch hour, take on the extra projects, work on the weekends to do the big changes. I fell asleep at my desk, on occasion, not very often, but occasionally that was a thing that happened, right? Wake up, it's like, oh, I ended up staying all night because there was a big change coming in the morning and I had to cram all the last minute documentation and processes in to be ready to run that change when the window came in the morning. Uh, but the, the, there's a big point here that I think a lot of us in our younger days, we, we overlooked, which is, is just what I said in that tweet. Your life is your life. Work is a part of it, not a hundred percent of it. And you do need to have something left over for all of those other things that are important in your life, like personal health and self-care and taking care of your family, paying attention to your spouse and to your kids. If you've got those Uh, all of those things matter too, and they shouldn't be sacrificed because you've buried yourself with more work than you know what to do with. And you're just stressed beyond at all times. I feel like it is a very common, I won't say a problem, but maybe it's a, it's a common perspective for entry level people to want to do everything that they can. If you throw a project at me, I'm just going to say, yes. If you ask me to take on this extra role, I'm going to agree to do it because they feel like, if they just agree to everything that makes them look like a model employee, it makes them feel like they're valuable to the company. And then, you know, whether you think you're learning about it or whether you think you're inserting yourself into the, the, the great cog structure so that you can't be removed easily. So it's job security or whatever. The problem is, is that eventually what it looks like to your employers is, is a, well, you know, Ethan just never says no. So I don't have a problem bringing this to him. He's reliable. I can give him anything and he'll work on it. You're right. He will. But what you don't see as a manager is the fact that Ethan's quite literally trying not to pull his hair out because how am I going to balance the fact that I need to get this cutover done Friday night at eight o'clock and I have a date with my wife? Is she going to understand if I tell her I'm going to be late because what if the cutover goes wrong and by even to thinking about that choice, you've already put work ahead of your personal life. Oh yeah, yeah. For, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm feeling bad uh, just looking back. I, if I think about this too, you're gonna make me cry, Tom. You're gonna make me, <laughs> you're gonna get yeah, know, me all right. upset thinking about some of this stuff. And because this the this conversation comes from you know, mistakes that I, I'm gonna guess both of us have made here, you know, somewhere along the way. But still, saying no. And saying no is a complete sentence as your as your thesis is a tough thing. It, so, so let's put some perspective around that, some more context around that specifically. If we're in a position in life where we need to have more time, more mental CPU available so that we have a better work-life balance, whatever term, terminology you want to use, uh, how do you say no to an authority figure, someone who does have higher fire authority and, you know, and that kind of thing? Is it truly as simple as you're making it out to be? Just say no. And that's it. it it's funny. I always think of like the story of Alexander the Great and the Gordian Knot. You know, leaders throughout history were trying to figure out how to untangle it. And Alexander walked up with a sword and cut it in half. And everyone's like, well, we never thought about doing it like that. Um <laughs> Obviously, um, there, there's lines from books I can remember, like, you know, I'm on a first name basis with my boss. He calls me Tom. I call him sir. Uh, that kind of thing. Um, but but the deal is because there there are people that you can push back against that understand it. Um, typically, I find that the, the closer they are to you, the more likely they are to understand things like workload, things like. Um, your ability to actually execute the task. Because obviously, if they're your direct report manager, then they understand kind of how that thing is tasked. Generally, the further abstracted you are from that, the less likely that person is to accept no for an answer. Because as we all know, uh, essentially, if your title starts with a C, it's very rare that you're ever told no. Mm -hmm. And that is hard to do. 
And it feels to me quite often like people feel the need to construct this elaborate refutation of why they feel like they need to say no. Um, I, I reference Brandolini's law, which is um, the BS asymmetry principle. It says that the amount of energy needed to refute bull is an order of magnitude larger than necessary to produce it. So to corrupt Brandolini's law here, the amount of effort that it takes for you to justify why you're saying no is a whole lot harder than someone just walking up to you and saying, can you do this for me? Because for them, there's no emotional stake in it. Hmm. Is it appropriate to say to someone who has a reasonable expectation that you would take something on to just say no without an elaborate explanation? I think it's absolutely appropriate. And before you burn me in effigy, ask yourself this question. <laughs> They're going to ask you why. So why should you give them the courtesy of explaining your why before they ask the question? Think about it like, you know, um, honestly, it kind of sounds a little cagey, but think about it like uh, answering questions on a witness stand. Why would you volunteer information before you're asked? Because it could just be that they walk up to you and be like, hey, Ethan, can you take care of this? No. Oh, okay. Well, you know what? I can go ask Bob. You didn't need to justify it at that point. Now mm -hmm. they, they may, they may very well come back and go, well, why can't you do that? And then you can say, I'm overworked. I have too many projects going on. But if you start with that, that sounds like an excuse. Mm. Whereas if it's a justification, maybe the, the difference is splitting hairs. But to me, you've stood your ground. You're not welching on, you know, maybe if you took one thing off my plate, or maybe if, you know, if I worked on this tonight or because now you're, you're already saying you've ceded ground to that person. And, and again, it, it feels very antagonistic. Don't get me wrong. Um, but generally, the, the people who are going to fight you on it are the antagonistic people. Well, I don't care what you said. It needs to be done right now. We pause today's podcast discussion for training talk with heavy networking sponsor, CBT Nuggets. I care about IT training because it's been a big part of my IT career since I started going all the way back to 95. I began my IT infrastructure journey learning Novell stuff. And over the years, training's never stopped for me because sometimes I'm going for cert. Sometimes I just need to get a better handle on something new, but I am always learning something to deliver the best networks that I can. As you research your own training needs, consider CBT Nuggets. CBT Nugget specializes in training for networking, cloud, and security. They cover other material too, but they have an especially huge library of training material for Cisco, AWS, Juniper, Linux, Microsoft, and VMware. Thousands of videos, thousands of hours of content, which, which is not meant to scare you. It's okay. You don't have to watch them all at once. Just know that what you need is there when you need it. For example, all of you that are getting into network automation now, CBT Nuggets offers Cisco DevNet Associate and DevNet Professional Training. I have been reviewing the DevNet Blueprint material from Cisco. And I can tell you, you are going to want training to get through these programs and make the most of them. Uh, DevNet material, it's not like learning a new routing protocol. It's learning how to manage infrastructure as code. And if you're a traditional ops person, that, that's really what I am. It's a whole new way of thinking. There's so much more than DevNet training there at CBT Nuggets. I've spent some time with the interface, digging through the catalog. It's easy to navigate. I sampled several videos. The audio and the video quality are excellent, and the instructors are easy to understand. They are personal, and they are engaging. They are not formal and boring, and some, some of them even wear a cowboy hat. Besides the training itself, there is a great support system to help you get a handle on the material with virtual labs and accountability coaching. Now is a great time to sign up for CBT Nuggets. Visit cbtnuggets.com slash heavy networking to take advantage of their seven days free trial offer. Try it for a week. See if you like it. Commit if you do. Cancel if you don't. Seems fair. cbtnuggets.com slash heavy networking for seven days free. That's cbtnuggets.com slash heavy networking. And now back to the podcast I so rudely interrupted. There's also context with who you are and what your role is, I think, too. Um, I, I, and I think many of the people listening to this would be in a, in a senior role, a more technical, not everybody, but there's going to be a number of folks like that. And in that situation, those folks tend to have a lot of stuff on their plates anyway. So I, I would never quite have the, the chutzpah to say just no, flat out, and let it hang there. You know, I, I guess, but, but I did try to take a strong stand and my approach would be, uh, I can, 
but you need to reprioritize my projects because you've already committed me to these other things. So which of these has can come, which of these comes off the list so that I can do this thing that you need me to do now? And that would result in an interesting conversation sometimes. Sometimes my boss would go, ha, you're right. Yeah, you are overcommitted and we've already got these other deadlines that we've committed to in the organization. I can't really add that to your plate right now. And either maybe he or she would take care of it or uh, it would get assigned to someone else, uh, as the case may be. Um, Sometimes it would be this thing's big. This thing's big. We've got to prioritize this. So put that to the top of your list and we're going to take items four and five on the project list and we'll just change the deadlines. We'll move those down. It is what it is, but no one's going to die if we don't move those, meet those dates. It's okay. No, no problems. And that would, it's different from saying no, we're just, you try to make the problem go away, but it does make the workload more balanced and make you come across as a, you know, a reasonable human. You know, you're, 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 you're taking a stand, you're defending yourself, but you're not just um, coming, you're not coming across as rude, I guess. So let me throw another wrinkle into this, because this is an element that a lot of people may be finding themselves faced with now in in modern society that maybe wasn't something that they thought about even five years ago. And that's the element of the difficulty of communication with neurodiverse people. I'll tell you that one of the things that I've learned about myself over the course of the pandemic is that I probably should have been diagnosed with some form of ADHD when I was a kid. And one of the things that I've learned about myself is that I have a really hard time expressing my emotions to people verbally. I express them physically. Like I I physically react to things when people ask me to do something, but I have a hard time vocalizing what I feel. What do you mean? Like, 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 like flushing the face or tensing up or balling a fist or rolling the eyes, shrugging my shoulders, throwing my hands up in the air, but the words don't come out. And so Mm. to me in my head, what I'm saying is, man, if they could only pick up on these signals, I wouldn't have to tell them. No, they could feel how stressful and frustrating this is for me. And it took a long time for me to understand that. No, no, they can't read my mind. So I have to express what I'm feeling. Now, I don't have to express all of it. I don't have to tell them I am completely overworked and you put too much on my plate and I do too many things. And man, you don't know how stressed out I am. And I really just don't want to do this job just by elucidating just no. Then that puts the conversation, at least you've communicated directly. I mean, there Mm -hmm. is no, there's no black, no is black and white. There is no thought process behind well, did he really mean yes when he said that I could do it, but only if you take these projects off my plate? Or was he really trying to say no? You're clear. Now, yes, you are abrupt. And there are people in this world that are just as abrupt as that. Police officers, drill sergeants, um, CEOs of companies are pretty direct in their communications when they're talking to their employees. They get a little colorful when they're talking to the board members of the stockholders. Mm-hmm. But the idea is, is that there's no way that you could misconstrue the answer. And that can be hard for people. I mean, we think about people now who are of a certain age, well, you know, Generation X-ish, or the elder millennials, if you want to call them that, (laughs) who have kind of lived in this world where doublespeak exists. And we say no, and we really meant to say yes, and vice versa. And we find creative ways, especially if you grew up in the South. Figuring out how to tell somebody no without actually saying the word no is an art form that can take half an hour of conversation. But by being direct and upfront about it, there's there's no mincing words. And for someone who is even more neurodiverse than you, like you can literally confuse someone who we used to refer to them as being on the autism spectrum. If they read differences in your body language versus what you're actually saying, they have no social cues to be able to pick up on that. And so they might misunderstand that while you're sitting there rolling your eyes and like, you know, wringing your hands and everything. And what you say is, yeah, I think I can take care of that for you in a very sarcastic tone of voice. They just heard that you can do it. (laughs) What do you think the risk is when you say no, Tom, in your experience, when you said no, is, is it, is it risky? It is. It, you're, you're absolutely taking the risk because you're putting yourself out there. You are you're informing someone who has a position above you that you are in, you're not capable of doing a thing. So immediately their response is, well, why not? Like, do I even need you on my team? 
Um, typically, though, if you're in a senior role, you probably you you are, you are a valuable enough person, and you also are putting yourself in an in a in a defensive situation. Think about it this way: say the word yes, but cross your arms over your chest as you say it. Whether or not you realize that 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 nonverbal cue puts you in the same defensive posture, because now that person's going to be like, "Well, he said yes, but what did he really mean?" And so you you are taking a risk. But ask yourself this question: If you say no up front and negotiate, or just don't do the job. Are you taking the same level of risk as you would if you said yes, knowing you wouldn't be able to do the job in the first place? Hmm. Yeah, I don't I don't feel it's risky as long as you have some standing. If you've proven yourself as a valuable employee, you're you're good at your work, you're committed, you're there, you're reliable, you get projects done, you know, people are counting on you, and you push back and say no. Well, you've got an established track record. People understand that you're a capable employee. You're not the squeaky wheel who's always whining about this and not getting things done and missing your deadlines. You do your job and you get things done. And so if someone's asking you to do the thing and you say no, well, you know, it should be, oh, fair enough. No. uh, And then why? And then you're having a grown up conversation at that point about what's going on. Now, that really de-risks it massively. And there's a couple of contexts here. I know, as a, again, as a younger employee, I would think I'm going to make the least little uh, mess up and they're going to fire me. Well, mm-hmm. no, actually, if you're valuable, it is very difficult to find good employees. And so just the fact that you're decent at your job and you show up every day and you're getting things done makes you a really valuable commodity. They want to retain you. They do not want to lose you. You, uh, you matter to them. That gives you some space. You can't be a total jerk and obnoxious, of course, but it does give you some some latitude to say no and have that, again, have that be a grown-up discussion about, well, well, what's going on that you can't do it and go from there. And it's funny that a lot of people see, like, just no as a combative or or rude answer. I mean, there are a lot more rude answers out there that involve expletives and gestures. And I've been on the receiving end of those. I've been involved when it wasn't just no, but no and go F yourself kind of thing. So like the idea that that no is anything more than a neutral response, because no one would ever look at yes as being a negative answer or, or being a combative answer, even if it was given with a snotty tone of voice. But the problem is, is that so many people are used to being told that something can happen. And and I think that there's this other thing that kind of comes through some of the research that I've been doing. There's this mentality that certain people have. Um, People like me have a really hard time asking for things. We have a very difficult time expressing that we would like something to happen. And so we spend all of this time having these conversations with ourselves, trying to fight through every possible objection that we can think of until we finally get to the point where like, okay, I've, I've mitigated as much of the risk as I can. So I go to Ethan and I say, Ethan, I really need you to do this for me. I would sincerely appreciate it. And you go, okay. And I'm like, well, crap. I spent all of this time trying to figure out how I was going to overcome all of Ethan's objections. And Ethan's just like, yeah, whatever. But the opposite side of that coin is people who have absolutely no compunction about asking for everything because they have no um, emotional attachment to being told no. Hey, will you go to the prom with me? No. Okay. Well, like you're not broken up inside about that. Like you're not like, you know, literally heart crushed everything. Yeah. No big deal to me. And I think that what happens is, is that when you have people of that same polarity, they get it. Hey, will you do this for me? No. Okay. No big deal. Walk away. Versus the people who are like, you know, they've spent like a week trying to figure out all of the possible ways to counter everything. And so when they finally meet, it's like, you know, any matter and matter and they explode everywhere. It's when you get the two that don't communicate that way, that it is extremely difficult to match up because you've got the person who wants, who, who like, if, if you come to me and you're like, you know, it's no big deal for me to ask. And like, when you ask me if my thing is, I don't understand, like, was it a big deal for Ethan to ask? Because it would be a big deal for me to ask. Like, maybe I feel like I have to say yes, because if I don't, he's going to be like crushed and and it's going to completely wreck his timetable. And man, how can I juggle my own work? And like, I've already started justifying it in my own head as to how I could say yes to you, because for me, asking that question is a huge deal, Hmm. whereas it might not be the case and, you know, vice versa. Like, (laughs) that's a big deal for people to try to try to climb over that mess. 
and, and 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 the funny thing is, is like, you know, you think about things like neurodiversity and in the kind of giving and taking mentality that we're asking ourselves and you're like, man, you guys are attaching an awful lot of scientific, psychological mumbo jumbo to a simple yes or no question. And that's the thing is that most of the time it is not a simple yes or no question. And some people don't treat it as a complex thing. And they wonder why their employees get stressed out, burned out, overworked when they're like, well, you could have just told me no. No, I couldn't either because I wouldn't let myself say it or I didn't think you wanted to hear it. So th there's there's another point here to make uh, on that is that I think a lot of people in our line of work, we take ourselves very seriously. We don't want to say no to people because we want to be relied upon and we want to do all the things and we're, we are people pleasers to some degree too. Mm -hmm. And we're people pleasers in the context of our technical capabilities and our prowess to make the technology do the thing. And if we know we can do it and it's possible for us to do this work, we don't want to say no. We take ourselves very seriously and it's sort of a failing if someone comes to us with a request and we turn it down. Yeah, you feel like you're letting the team down. You feel like you're letting the organization down if you don't just do this one thing. Because come on, man, it's only five more minutes. How hard can it be? Well, if it was only five extra minutes, why didn't you do it? And see, that's where you're getting into the super combative responses. And so and, and as soon as I wrote that blog post, there was a guy who actually DM'd me and he goes, you need to do a follow up post of how to say yes effectively, which really does feel kind of like a, a mated problem because it's not easy. It's, you know, it's hard to say no. It's harder to say yes and make sure that you're not overworking yourself. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> harder to say yes and make sure you're not overworking yourself. I've just, because you think if you're capable of doing it, you can just, how hard is it going to be? I'm going to need a few hours to sit and read the manual on that and figure that out. And it'll be, it'll be, it'll be fine. And you talk yourself yep. into doing more than you should. But for me, the more things I take on, the more pressure it feels like I could have 50 tiny things to do, but because there's 50 of them, it might as well be 50 month long projects. It's just, it's, it's overwhelming. And adding on one more thing is just, it's it's too hard and being able to say no isn't easy just because i've got some years and career behind me but i've learned i have to for self-preservation to leave room to do other things so think about it from this perspective too because i'm, I'm going to reference everyone's favorite book the phoenix project here brent in the story for those of you who don't know brent is like the the, the nexus point of everything that's wrong at this company Brent's the kind of guy who doesn't say no, because everything has to go through him. And if you think about it, maybe, maybe take your personal out of it. Like this, this isn't about me saying no. This is about the position that I'm in saying I shouldn't do this. It should be done by somebody else. Maybe they don't realize that. Maybe they want to go to somebody to have it done quickly. And I'm just as guilty of that, even if I'm not the one asking. If I will step up and go, that needs to be done. I see how to get it done. I'm going to do it right now. And then a month from now, it's Tom's job because Tom's the one who's always done it, even though I did it a couple of times because it was easy for me to accomplish. And now you've created, you know, you've created this precedent and you've created all these problems that you will eventually have to you know, say no to. And that's a huge problem for people in our line of work because we see that. We see that these things need to be picked up. We see that things need to be done. And honestly, when you get to the management positions, you know, whether you're kind of a team lead or something like that, that's one of the hardest things to get rid of is this is not your job anymore. You need to have somebody else do it. Mm. Why? Because if you don't get rid of the things you're doing, you will never be able to do anything else. Yes. <laughs> Exactly right. Well, Tom, this has been a good conversation. I feel like we got a lot more nuance uh, in this conversation than we were maybe able to get in the blog post. So I'm really glad we were able to chat. Uh, and I, this is what I thought we were going to talk about, because I, like I said, I've known you for a while. And I was like, ah, I think I know what Tom's getting at here and a conversation to help draw some of this out. Now, Tom, you're active on social media. You are doing all this work with Tech Field Day. Tell folks how they can follow you and uh, find all the content you're involved with. Well, if you want to follow what I do for my day job, you can always head over to Twitter. We're at Tech Field Day. The website is techfieldday.com. There's a lot of great resources out there at days and days of video that you can consume. 
on a variety of technical subjects. Um, if you want to follow me personally and see what I'm going to say next to make the internet mad, uh, my Twitter handle is Networking Nerd, and it's also my blog, networkingnerd.net. I try to post, you know, once a week or so, and, and try to come up with some interesting stuff when I'm when I'm not at field day. Um, basically, just you know, trying to to make everybody's lives a little bit easier, even if it means that I'm telling you to do something that seems extremely combative. <laughs> and the article we were referring to again is entitled no is a complete sentence you can find that at tom's blog tom thank you for being on heavy networking today and thank you out there for listening we we really do appreciate it a housekeeping reminder for you you can find all the things to help with your professional career development all at packetpushers.net we offer all for free and with your privacy respected a slack group a newsletter, white papers, a technical community blog, a YouTube channel, and our entire podcast lineup. And of course, it is all searchable. Packetpushers.net is meant to be a good resource for you as you do industry research. And then last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough. And keep listening for some product news from Palo Alto Networks coming right up in the Tech Byte portion of today's episode. Today on the Tech Bytes podcast, we're talking with sponsor Palo Alto Networks about two topics. First, Okio Guard, a new wireless mesh product to support remote work. And second, a new bandwidth on demand option for Palo Alto's Prisma SD-WAN. Our guests from Palo Alto Networks are Charles Cho and Rajesh Kari. Charles and Rajesh, welcome to the show. Let's dive into Okio Guard. Charles, uh, what is it? What are we talking about with Okio Guard? So Okio Guard is a subscription service by Palo Alto Networks that uh, includes a Wi-Fi 6 mesh router and it's really designed to extend the corporate SSID into work from home employees home network environments uh, in order to securely uh, kind of protect all of those corporate issued devices at the network layer. Okay, so you're shipping a wireless mesh router to an employee's home, but it's managed by Palo Alto Networks or it's managed by the corporation to protect those corporate devices? Yeah, that's correct. So the company that purchases uh, Okio Guard Enterprise Edition would then send it out to their select employees. So generally speaking, uh, high value employees, C-level executives, uh, those employees that are dealing with uh, sensitive information. Mm. Um, so those types of employees could get it, an Okio Guard router uh, sent to them. And then the company's IT administrator or network security uh, practitioners would then monitor and manage the security policies that are now extended into the uh, the work from home employees home networks. So this extends the SD-WAN because obviously Palo has been doing SD-WAN and we've talked several times on Packet Pushes about the SD-WAN capabilities. But what you're actually saying here is this is an SD-WAN edge with all of the security functionalities that the SASE sort of product suite gives us, you know, the Prisma access, which does the traffic inspection, the threat detection capabilities, the user logging, it just effectively extends the corporate network transparently out to these networks, to these edge users. Yeah, it, it actually works uh, complementary to SD-WAN. So SD-WAN for the, uh, the office environment, and we consider the employees' homes uh, essentially a micro branch. And so these homes also need to be uh, fully protected. And so mm -hmm. Okio Guard extends the uh, the SASE uh, software application to the home. And so all mm -hmm. of the traffic in the home would be inspected by Prisma Access. Just to be clear here, does this mean that this is an SD-WAN appliance with all the things that I want? Or is this really a specific extending the security boundary to the home office? Yeah, this is not the SD-WAN. The SD-WAN is really designed for the office environment. For the home networks, uh, Okio Guard is really an extension of the uh, Prisma Access or our SASE solution. So right. the full security stack that is available through SASE is now extended into the home to inspect all the traffic. Right. So sometimes you would put a VPN client on and then get it connected to the Prisma access. Some people would have a branch using the, an SD-WAN, the, the CloudGenix SD-WAN portfolio, and that would feed the data into Prisma access. But in this case, it's a hardware appliance targeting that unique use case for C-level executives who maybe can't work with VPNs or need something a little bit different. Yeah, that's correct. It's actually a combination of hardware, software, services. It's all integrated into one solution. Right. And uh, Okio Guard is uh, the solution that really uh, brings enterprise level security into mm -hmm. employees' homes. Um, and so, yeah, it's a combination of all three. 
So uh, you mentioned uh, this extends the corporate SSID to the home. Does that mean when I, as the end user, you know, look for that wireless access point I want to connect to, I would see the SSID that I would see if I was in, you know, the corporate office? Yeah, absolutely. So your, the company would set up the, um, the, the corporate SSID uh, for the home. And when you log into your computer, you would automatically connect to the corporate SSID just like you were in an office. So it's the exact same experience. Mm. Uh, there's no uh, additional login or authentication. Your laptop, once you're set up, um, any agent or agentless devices that are company issued would automatically connect to the corporate SSID as you would in the office. So I don't even need an agent on this endpoint that's connecting to the Okio Guard because it's just connecting to the right SSID? Yeah, the agent is still necessary for you know remote access. So if you're leaving your home and you're going to a Starbucks or to the airport, you still need uh, that agent in order to protect that endpoint. But mm. at the home, uh, yeah, that's essentially correct. So uh, you would automatically connect to the corporate SSID, whether your agent is on or off. And what about other devices at home? So it's not uncommon for teenagers to be sharing the same network as your senior executive or your HR director, and maybe they're accessing content. Is there some protection there as well? Yeah, absolutely. So Okio Guard comes with one corporate SSID and up to two personal uh, SSIDs. The personal SSIDs are completely separate from the corporate wireless um, and the the personal is managed entirely by the employee through the Okio Guard app. There is no employer visibility into the personal network and you can extend all of the enterprise grade security that is available from Palo Alto Networks onto the personal network as well. So, but that is completely optional. They Mm -hmm. have the, the choice to do that or not. If they do turn it on, they can essentially protect the entire house holistically from all those cyber threats. Okay, so I want to make sure I understand. I can have multiple SSIDs so that, you know, after work when I want to watch Netflix or, you know, my spouse is working at uh, their own job, they're not necessarily connecting to this corporate SSID. And then, you know, that IT department is seeing everything that my family is doing. I've got separate networks where I can do my own personal stuff. That is absolutely correct. Right. So there's two separate networks, one personal, one corporate the corporate will automatically connect all of your corporate devices. And then if your you know, family is playing uh, you know, any type of gaming or Netflix, all the things that you normally do with all your connected IoT devices, that will be um, trafficked through the personal network with zero visibility by the employer. That's correct. Okay, that's great. Because that could open up a whole can of privacy worms. Mm. All right. So let me ask one more question about this. Uh, what, what happens with support? Because this is always, you know, when something's at home and a home user is using it and who's responsible for it, how do, how do you uh, parse this support issue? Yeah, you know, we really look at Okio Guard with three value proposition pillars. You know, one is obviously security outcomes. The other one is user experience with constantly logging in or logging off a VPN. And then the third one is around operational uh, efficiencies and some of the benefits that a solution like Okio Guard can bring to any enterprise organization. Uh, That being, you know, we have our own dedicated Okio support services available for customers. And so if you're a customer, you have Okio Guard at home. And if you run into any type of connectivity or latency or any issues, your first line of support will be to Okio. And so you would call us. We can offload a lot of those burdens from uh, in-house IT staff and be able to address a lot of those issues directly for um, their customers. And then, um, if needed, be able to route the appropriate level of support back to uh, to the company. Okay, so you're saying if I'm the end user and I have an issue, I can just call Okio Guard for first frontline support. And uh, instead of calling my regular IT department and them opening up a ticket, I call Okio Guard. And if Okio can fix it, that's great. And if not, Okio will coordinate with my enterprise to get it taken care of. Yeah, so there's different levels of support uh, for our Okio Guard Enterprise Edition. Uh, we have something called Premium Success. And with Premium Success, Uh, concierge services are provided. And with the concierge services, you get 24 seven priority support. Uh, You can actually also have um, Palo Alto security experts come on site uh, to homes to actually help troubleshoot, install. So all of those different levels of services (laughs) are available. I've had to install this type of stuff for senior execs over the years and then get calls at midnight on Saturday night because something's (laughs) gone wrong. And uh, this is just a really great way of 
of addressing that problem of being on seven days a week, 24 hour call. Yeah, absolutely. That's, right. And that's a real problem with these products is, you know, people do work all weekend. And if you're a mid-sized company, maybe you're not running 24 by seven right. tech support. And this is exactly the sort of thing that fits into that gap. Yeah. So knowing I, as the company that's deploying these things, knowing that I'm, that Palo is taking some of that or, or Okio Guard is taking some of that frontline support burden off me is, is pretty compelling. All right, well, let's pivot to the second part of our conversation. Uh, let's bring in Rajesh Kari. And Rajesh, you're here to talk about uh, a new pricing option for Pris uh, Palo Alto's Prisma SD-WAN, and it's a bandwidth on demand option. Can you tell us what this is about? Yes, Prisma SD-WAN bandwidth licensing on demand. We are bringing a consumption model for branch offices. We are officially in a post-pandemic era where people are starting to come back to their branch offices and almost 75% of businesses are opening their branch offices to all the employees. So the requirements for bandwidth has been uh, varying on a daily basis because some people still continue to work from home on certain days of the week while mm -hmm. some people come into the office. So this variability is creating a problem for IT administrators and we want to solve this with this consumption model. Now, this, the interesting part about SD-WAN here is that if I've got a branch with a 100 meg connection, but I might only use 30 or 40 megs on a sustained basis, I don't really want to buy 100 megs worth of licensing. But I think you're going a step further here. You're actually aggregating all the bandwidth across all the branches into the licensing scheme. That is correct. So typically what used to happen in a branch office is the idea administrators would do a guesstimate and say, based on the number of users, in a particular uh, location, uh, I'm going to subscribe for X amount of bandwidth, right? And they stuck to mm. it and they would only upgrade when there is a need or when there is a real poor user experience at these branch locations. Mm. What we are doing is we are providing them the flexibility of aggregating this whole bandwidth as a construct. By aggregating it as a pool, we are allowing each branch offices to consume it based on their requirements. So when they need it, where they need it, they can use it. So you're saying if I've got a pool of, say, let's just pick a number, a thousand megabits uh, per second, and then I don't have to worry about, you know, allocating all of that specifically to one branch. I just know I have this pool and that, you know, on one day a branch is going to use 50 meg and another day it's going to use 25. And I'm not worried about, oh, I've over-provisioned this branch because I'm just drawing from a pool. Exactly. You're eliminating the problem of over-provisioning or under-provisioning at any given day uh, for a particular branch locations. <laughs> I think I think it's even more complicated than that because you could actually have a situation where you're scaling up branches because they're growing or scaling them down. And today you go out and you buy your equipment, you provision it because the branch is big, but if it the branch cuts in half because people there choose to go working distributed, you know, working hybrid, or maybe that branch is closing down. Now the licensing associated with that capacity now moves back into the pool. So it's even more flexible than just, you know, being used at one place or another. That's exactly what we are seeing in some of the customer premises as well. Uh, they are definitely uh, scaling down on certain branch locations, uh, but at the same time, they are also growing in terms of acquisitions and mergers or even newer locations for their businesses. So they are able to seamlessly move this bandwidth that is available to the newer branches because it's all part of the aggregated pool now. So the question that comes to mind then is what happens if I'm in a branch that happens to exceed the allocation I've got in the pool? Does my connection just shut down or what? how do I get stuck with a big penalty? Well, at any day, you know, spikes are expected and that's why we don't police the spikes. We allow the spikes to occur, we accommodate it and we ensure that the application performance and the user experience still continue to uh, be exceptional. Mm -hmm. At the same time, uh, people who have used our SD-WAN, who are aware of our SD-WAN solution, they know uh, we are industry leader when it comes to visibility. We can provide this visibility at a granular level for all these spikes. So IT administrators can quickly look at what has been the trend across the branch offices, where there has been a spike, and they can plan accordingly for their bandwidth planning uh, as part of their renewal or for part, part of their upgrade tiers.
That's key here because SD-WAN comes with the visibility and the monitoring tools included. So it's not like the, you'll exceed the license and you wouldn't know. You'd actually have the Prisma SD-WAN console. You'd be using it on a fairly continuous basis to see, to get visibility into what's happening in the WAN with the SD-WAN and how everything's performing. And if your licensing is being exceeded, you'd know. It's not something that you'd suddenly discover, you know, a month afterwards or something. No, no, it's not going to be all of a sudden. They yeah. are have historical uh, visibility into what has transpired in a certain branch locations and what applications are attributing as well. Let's face it, video conferencing is here to stay. Mm -hmm. And no matter if people are coming to the branch offices are still continuing remotely, they are going to collaborate using video conferencing applications. And yeah. this definitely is a traffic demanding apps that puts a lot of pressure on the bandwidth itself. So having this kind of visibility into both applications, spikes, bandwidth utilization, IT administrators can precisely compute what is their bandwidth requirements, upgrades or downgrade uh, plans, as well as how much they want to do when they are renewing their contract or simply go with an immediate upgrade if needed. So we often always talk about having to increase. Could I, using this, this bandwidth on demand option, also if it turns out I just don't need as much anymore, decrease my license pool? Yes, that's possible as well. It's totally depending on how much utilization you have mapped out in your branch offices. So do you see this uh, this bandwidth on demand tool as just for my network engineers or do you see this as helping partners or other folks involved in making buying decisions? The advantage of this consumption model is every single persona, it could be our own sales reps or it could be our partners or it could be the network administrators of our customers. They all get that flexibility of consuming bandwidth as an aggregated pool. That way they are simplifying the way they are consuming the SKUs or the orderings and then enable them seamlessly across their branch locations. All right, well, that does bring us to the end of this Tech Bytes episode. Uh, Charles, very quickly, if folks are curious about Okio Garden, want to find out more, where should they go? Please visit the, please visit the website at paloaltonetworks.com forward slash Okio. Okay, and Rajesh, same question for you about bandwidth on demand. Yep, people can reach us at paloaltonetworks.com slash SDVAN, uh, where they can see a ton of resources, what our SDVAN is all about, what our offering differentiates. At the same time, Drew, they can also take our solution for a test drive with our virtual uh, ultimate test drive platforms. All right, we'll have those links in the show notes that accompany this podcast. Uh, thank you, Charles and Rajesh, for joining us. Thanks to Palo Alto Networks for being a sponsor. Thanks to you for being a listener. If you like this episode, there are many more fine, free technical podcasts and our community blog. It's all at packetpushers.net. You can follow us on Twitter at Packet Pushers. Find us on LinkedIn, hear us on Spotify, and rate us on Apple Podcasts. And last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.